Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. This episode you're about to listen to has a few choice words. So if you're listening with your children in the car, earmuffs. Thank you. Hello, hello. Welcome to Mom Jeans. Today we're going to be talking about your scale. As a dietitian, people think my entire job is about weight. When people hear about what I do for a living, you can just tell that they immediately think that I'm judging them or their body. P.S. I'm not. They're like, oh, what is the best diet you can recommend? Or what is the secret to lose 10 pounds quickly? Drastic eye roll in my mind. (laughs) Or they are so surprised when I end up telling them that I don't believe in diets. I think all foods are good foods and that I don't ever recommend weight loss. And I don't have, and I never will have a scale in my house. The only reason why I have ever purchased a scale was for my job, and it is a medical grade scale that I calibrate and keep nicely hidden under a couch and only use it when absolutely necessary. If I don't ever have to see a a scale again in my life, I will be happy and can go about my job like it never existed. The reason being, we don't need a number to be able to assess our health, value, and worth as a person. So hopefully today, what Rachel and I have to share with you will allow you to recognize that a scale in your bathroom, if it's there, is more triggering and harmful to your children and yourself than you think. So confession time. I have had a scale in my bathroom in the past because I have been through periods in my life where the scale did have an unhealthy hold on me, where I did weigh myself obsessively, worried about how every bite would affect that number, and felt like a failure when the number went up. So while I've never had a diagnosable eating disorder, I can tell you that even a casual relationship with the scale and the diet culture mindset can easily lead down a rabbit hole of obsession. Anyways, in the past years, it kind of sat in the corner and collected dust. It was mostly under the sink collecting dust. And every now and then I would get on it, but I don't know, I just never got rid of it. Not for any particular reason, just kind of kept it in there like a household staple. But one day I saw my child step on it and ask, mommy, what does the number say? And my heart stopped. I had never weighed myself around the kit. So how did they even know what it was and what it did? I realized after talking to them about it that they knew what it was from their annual checkups. So I felt a little bit better that at least it was the doctor. Um, But after that, I ripped out the batteries and brought it to my office to use as an art therapy technique inspired by our interview today with McCall Dempsey of Southern Smash. And more on that in a minute. But first, quick funny story, a little while after I rid our house of the scale, we were packing to go on a trip, and my husband came to find me all annoyed and frustrated. He's like, where's the scale? I stood with pride and like loudly declared, like, we don't have one because we don't believe that number has any meaning and we will not be a family who owns a scale. And he was like, yeah, okay, that's nice and all, like I get it, but like I really need to weigh the suitcases to make sure they aren't over the allotted weight so we don't get fined at the airport tomorrow. <laughs> like, oh, well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> You're gonna have to just use your sorry, use your biceps. <laughs> I don't know. We don't have a scale. 
And then, interestingly enough, we were getting the kids ready for ski season recently. And when they had to figure out what skis the kids needed, they had to ask their kids' weights. And we didn't have a scale, and the kids hadn't had their annual checkup in almost a year. So we kind of just, like, added a few pounds to their last one. But it has been interesting to see how many things need weight or use weight, and not having a scale has been kind of just this, like, humorous thing now that my husband and I have had to deal with. So anyways, that's my little story. Uh, Okay, so back to Tina and I as professionals, like in our practices, weight is often a vital that it's taken as an assessment measure for the recovery process. So Tina, like you mentioned, you don't have a scale in your home, but I'm curious how you handle the scale and weighing your clients in your practice. Yeah, so I mean, disclosure, I I weigh people, (laughs) but only because like you said, it's a vital one of many taken as an assessment measure. It isn't the main assessment tool. I don't weigh all clients, just like I don't treat each client the same in each session. It's really individualized. And for some, it's a helpful tool. And for others, it isn't. And again, I just want to lay out there that it's one of many factors. And now, current situation, practicing virtual with all my clients, I'm not weighing anybody. And guess what? We're moving along just fine. Um, And so with my clients, so many times I'm in session with them and find that their specific relationship with the scale, it's so negative, yet they're trying to convince me that they need it. I mean, I don't really think that you can actually have a quote unquote positive relationship with the scale, but either way, what we end up exploring is that the scale is used as a morality tester. If they step on it and like what they see, then they're doing well or that diet is working or they can eat whatever they want. P.S. Diets never work. And if they step on it and they don't like what they see, then they are, quote unquote, a bad person and the diet is failing. Duh. Told you. Or they need to punish themselves. Either way, both of these options just sound like straight up torture. And I am here to tell you that there is another way to assess your health, to build up your worthiness as a person. And it certainly does not involve a scale. Yeah, and I don't weigh clients in my practice because I want it to be a safe space. And I'm lucky enough to always work with RDs or MDs who will do that dirty work for me. (laughs) So I do discuss weight with a client as a clinical issue if it is part of their treatment plan. I always preface any discussions about the number with the fact that the number is just a symptom of what's going on. If there is something going on emotionally or physically that's leading to a change in eating habits or medical symptoms, the scale could reflect that. Not always, but it could. So... For me, it's not about the number. It's about the underlying stuff. Yeah. So anyways, going back to moms who are listening and have a scale in the corner of the bathroom or who are struggling with weighing themselves and watching the number fluctuate or who worry about their kids number on the scale, we have a challenge for you. Imagine what it would be like if you or your child never had a way of measuring your weight. What now would we use? Well, we would actually have to assess what is going on what our core values are, and how we want to live our life. There would be no basic way of measuring our quote-unquote self-worth off of a number. Wouldn't that be nice? Well, we believe that that is actually a way that it can be, and our challenge for you listeners in this episode is to consider your relationship with the scale so you can get one step closer to body liberation. 
So today we are bringing on McCall Dempsey, founder of Southern Smash and advocate in the eating disorder recovery field. She is a mom and recovered person who has made it her life mission to help people shake off the chains that tie them to the scale. So let's check out her interview now. Today we are welcoming McCall Dempsey, founder of Southern Smash. She's an eating disorder survivor and passionate recovery advocate. After a 15-year battle, McCall saw treatment in December 2010. Since then, she has made eating disorder awareness and prevention her life's work and passion. McCall travels the country sharing her story of hope and healing with audiences everywhere. She also writes the popular blog, Loving Imperfection, and her writing has been featured in various national television, print, and online publications, including Today Show, Women's Health Online, and HuffPostLive.com. A Louisiana native, McCall now resides in Florida with her husband, Jordan, and her two children, Manning and Marjorie. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on and chatting us, chatting with us, McCall. Um, if you can, can you tell us your story of body acceptance, all the ins and outs of that, what you struggled with growing up, disordered eating, how becoming a mom triggered that? Yeah. So, well, I struggled with an eating disorder for 15 years and, um, I found recovery before I became a mom, but my eating disorder started around the age of 15, but at a really young age, I received messages from society and friends and family that your worth is really tied into your appearance. Also, your worth is tied into productivity. And so as I went into high school and started cutting back here and there, my weight loss was met with a lot of compliments. Oh, McCall, you look so good. And then the compliments turned into concern. And that was even more validating for this eating disorder voice that was kind of growing in my head. And so the trajectory from there was that I was one of those people that so many are that were kind of lost in the middle of feeling like it's not that bad. It's not that bad enough to say I had an eating disorder because I quote unquote looked normal. And, you know, I think we're taught that, you know, eating, in order to say you have an eating disorder, you have to look like a gaunt, starving celebrity on the cover of Us Weekly. And that's far from the truth because anyone, any shape, size can have an eating disorder. Um, and so the big turning point for me, I was actually 28 years old and I fell into the sport of triathlon. And it was really just another way for my eating disorder to latch onto that compulsive exercise. And I told my triathlon coach, who was becoming a good friend, that I was struggling with diet pill addiction. I was addicted to diet pills for eight years. And I thought that if I could just get rid of these diet pills and keep on training, like all would be fine in the world. And what I didn't know was that I was suffering from a debilitating eating disorder, you know? And so it's this notion that if one thing goes, another shift comes in. So I would ping pong between all of this different symptom use, whether it was restriction or binging and purging or compulsive exercise. So you take the diet pills away and then the restriction fell into place. And so um, with that, my husband, I had kept it a secret from my husband and he found out and um, yeah, he was like, you're going to go talk to someone. And so I begrudgingly went and it took me a really long time to realize, wow, okay, yeah, I have an eating disorder. And I had so much shame around it. And I entered treatment on December 14, 2010 and 29 years old, I felt like the biggest failure I felt like I didn't belong because I wasn't quote unquote thin enough. Um, I didn't look like I was sick and I felt like I had just failed at life. And 
little did I know that that was a springboard to what would catapult me into actually living a life. And part of that is a huge piece is obviously the body image. And I think that's something that every person, especially many, many women grapple with on a daily basis, whether or not you're full blown in an eating disorder or anywhere on that disordered eating spectrum. You know, I feel like we all know what it feels like to not feel good enough. And certainly that can manifest in food and body. And I think for me, the big shift started to happen when I finally started to see my body as an instrument and no longer an ornament for people to comment on or for me to change, you know, my shape to gather my own worth or other people's approval. That's awesome. I think, thank you for sharing the vulnerability piece too, because I think that's so true, especially for moms that are listening that think like, well, it's just something I've kind of done with at a high level of functioning and kind of realizing that like it's multiple yeah. types of behaviors and also multiple types of bodies that can struggle with this. And it's never too late to reach out and get help. Yeah. And I definitely had, it's never too late. Absolutely not. And I definitely was a high functioning eating disorder. You know, I went to work every day. I, you know, go to dinner with friends, but I think, you know, when it becomes, it was a problem for a very long time, but it was, it's so culturally accepted for women, you know, we'll just talk about women here, obviously it affects men too, and all genders, but, you know, for women to be on a new diet or to be on a new cleanse or to not be eating dairy or whatever it is. And so it's very written off and you know, we shouldn't be confined to living our lives according to the latest fad diet. And, and, you know, I still have so many mom friends that are like, oh, I'm doing Whole30, I'm doing keto. I'm like, thank God I don't have to do that shit anymore. You know, yeah. like I get to do and live by my own standards, follow intuitive eating, listening to my body, and I'm truly connected to my body. Okay, so I heard about you a long time ago with Southern Smash. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about Southern Smash and how it became your lifelong mission to spread this message? So when I discharged from treatment in March 2011, I knew two things. That one, I was going to make recovery my job because I wanted to start a family. And two, I was going to pay it forward because I felt deep down that I wanted my story to have meaning. And I did not know how. And you have to also remember that I was still so like cloaked in shame about my eating disorder and having gone to treatment that I couldn't even, nobody knew I went to treatment. Only my closest friends and family knew. And so, but the one big thing that was missing was group support and somebody sitting next to me to hold that space and say, me too, I understand. Clinicians are great, dietitians are great, but I needed someone to say, I gotcha. And I didn't have that in Louisiana where I was living at the time. And so I started a blog, but I started anonymously because again, that shame was entered. And um, I just wrote as a way to put out into the universe what I was feeling. And it was like this online virtual support, but again, anonymously. And about a year later, I shared a blog with my friend, Anne, who is now my best friend and godmother to my son. And she calls me and she's like, you have a blog? I'm like, I know, it's so stupid, right? I had all these gremlins that told me like, I'm a terrible writer, you know, all these shame things. People think I'm crazy. And she wanted to share it on Facebook. I'm like, you are off your freaking rocker if you think I'm going to put this on Facebook and everyone's going to know I went to treatment. I have an eating disorder. Absolutely not. Hard pass. And we went to dinner that night and she just pushed and pushed and pushed. And she finally said, you don't know who you might help. And that little pay it forward promise came back and I was like, oh, fine. And then the next morning I woke up with one of those college, oh my God, what happened last night moments of like, oh, the blog is on Facebook. I'm going to die. And I pick up <laughs> my phone and my Facebook messenger is filled with messages 
Thank you, McCall, for sharing. I struggled with anorexia. Thank you for sharing. I struggled with bulimia, binge eating. I struggled with drug addiction, alcoholism. I struggled to be the perfect mom. And the one that got me was, thank you, McCall, for sharing all those years. We thought you had it all together. It is so nice to know you did not. Wow. And it was just this like, mm. oh, crap. Yeah. Nobody wants you to walk around pretending like life, you have life totally figured out and that you're perfect because that's not real. And there was something really amazing about suddenly overnight becoming completely naked and vulnerable to the world around me. And so I kept writing and I just kept hitting submit and post on Facebook and a group at LSU said, Hey, will you come speak? And I was like, well, I've never done that before, but okay, cool. That, that might be, I'll talk this one time, you know? And then I called him back and I said, Hey, but I've got this crazy idea. And they said, what is it? But I want to do a scale smash. And they said, well, what is that? And I was like, it's smashing bathroom scales with sledgehammers. I'm like, these girls are going to think I'm off my rocker. And they were like, we're in. And so November 16, 2012, Southern Smash was born at the LSU Lake. And as the sun set literally that night, I was with a dear friend of mine. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, I got to do this again. She's like, hell yeah, you do. And that's really how it started. By I made it up as I went. I had no background in nonprofits. Um, my background was in marketing and television. And so I used those skills to help, you know, Google what is a, you know, nonprofit, how does it run, what are bylaws, and kind of off it went after that. But I literally would show up on college campuses with scales and sledgehammers and be like, we're going to have fun today. Yes. And it was just, you know, and this is what I always tell people. I, you know, I think the world around us tries to mute that internal fire that we have. And we might not even know that it's there, but it's this little voice that just says, keep going. I had no idea what I was doing, but that little voice just kept saying, keep going. And so that was in 2012. And here we are 2020. And this past year we merged with the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness oh, cool. with my dear friend, Joanna Candell. And so it's been a wonderful marriage as we like to call it because Joanna and I've worked together for years. And the reason I believe so much now in our mission as part of the Alliance is we are doing free clinician-led support groups across the country for folks with eating disorders and we have friends and family groups. And so we go to, you know, we were in New Orleans in 2018 and we did a fundraiser and proceeds stay within that community to fund the free clinician-led support groups. So we're actually creating change in communities. And after that event in New Orleans in 2018, I called Joanna and I'm like, let's get married. Like, you know, you, we're just like, we're a perfect match. And so by doing that, we're doing more together and helping more people across the country. So it's been super exciting. I love that. I love that. We should, we will link that in the show notes. So those that are listening can go to that website and then get access to that support. I mean, as you're saying that, I'm like, oh my gosh, sweet. I My client was literally just texting me being like, uh, I need some online virtual support, please. I'm like, okay, there you go. So getting back to the scale, should moms get rid of the scale? Always, yes, that's my opinion. Always. And why? Moms should always get rid of the scales because why the hell do you need them? It's not gonna tell you anything else about yourself that you don't already know. And all it's gonna, you've never get on a scale and think, oh, damn, I feel good about myself today. Or if you do, it's something fleeting and it might because of, been, because of a really unhealthy behavior that you've been using to get to whatever that quote unquote goal weight was, is. 
you know, and I, I think that the scale is this just hunk of metal that I have, you can see, well, y'all can see, not the podcasters, but I mean, all over, if you break it down, when you smash it to pieces, it is literally chunks of metal and glass, and it's absolutely zero, nothing. It has nothing to do with your worth and who you are as a person. And we know now it has zero to do with your health. It has very, very little to do with your indicators of health. The only place that needs to have a scale is a doctor's office. And that's for only certain reasons. But, you know, I think that society is constantly telling us that if we look a certain way, weigh a certain amount, then we'll feel better. And it's going to be that magic line in the sand that we cross. And whether, you know, you weigh this or that, you're still the exact same amazing person. And so a, a weight change isn't going to fix the anxiety that you're feeling, you know, Society tells us to go to war with our bodies instead of digging a little deeper and saying, what's really going on with me? You know, I still, people are like, oh, you must never have a bad body day. I'm like, what? Like, I'm human. Hello. You know? And so, yes, I have days. I've had days this week within this apocalypse where I wake up and I'm like, Ugh. well, instead of going, oh, I need to lose 10 pounds. I say, let's think about what's going on in my life. I am now a teacher. I am not sleeping because I'm worried about all, all of my family getting corona. I have all this work to do. I mean, I, I'm stressed. I'm maxed out. Maybe that's why I'm, because my brain and the world tell me to go to war at my body instead of taking a minute, being still and doing something good for myself to kind of heal that piece that's all fired up. For sure. And even as a dietitian myself, you know, it's like part of my job is to bring focus you know, to someone's body and whatnot, but I'm shifting that relationship. And there are very few times that I'm actually weighing an individual. And even if I am, I'm sitting with them and going, hey, this is the reason why it isn't the sole purpose of what I'm doing, but it's one small factor in my ability to engage with you. And then there's others where it's like, I don't want to weigh you. It's not helpful and it's actually more harmful for me to hold that information and you to not have it. So instead, we're just not going to weigh. So if I could never weigh people again in my life, that would be amazing. You know, the only reason I have the scale is because there are certain situations where maybe it is necessary, but I would totally smash that. <laughs> well, and I, it's so funny because um, a lot of times we'll go into to communities and I'll, I'll have a, a dietetic group. They come and they bring all these scales that their clients have given oh. to them. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. Yeah. Uh, They're like, we got extra. I'm like, thank you. They dig into their closets. But yeah, I mean, absolutely scales, you know, in dietitian's office and for all the jazz. But, you know, I think there's definitely, like you were saying, like some clients don't even need it and some do and it's just each case is individual but again that's in a professional's office and not in our house just to play devil's advocate or just to share what I hear a lot from my mom friends is like but I have to have a scale because otherwise I would just like not care about what I ate or like if the number would go up or I'd get out of control or or they come up with some like quote unquote legitimate reason of why they should have a scale. So like what what is your response to people who feel like if they don't know how to have that relationship with food in their body without using the scale to monitor that? Yeah, I mean, that is something I get all the time. They're like, you do what? Oh God, no, I have to have my scale. And I always ask them, I'm like, why? And they kind of look at me and they're like, well, to keep me in check. And, I, and I'll look at him back and I say, well, in check with what? Well, like, 
what like my my body and I'm like aren't you in your own body can't you feel it like and it always kind of throws them for a loop because I'm kind of coming at them at like we are our best indicator of how we feel not a arbitrary device and so you know for me I think that intuitive eating is something it's it's a we're all bored with it and then we start screwing it up the minute we go on a yo-yo diet but if we can slowly come back into that intuitive eating piece um, you don't need that scale to tell you how you're feeling about your own body. And, you know, I think people have this notion that if they don't have that, you know, that scale or that whatever it is, whether it's a scale or a tape measure or a certain size of jeans that they put on to like measure their, you know, where they are, where their body is, you know, I feel like they, they've, they've come to a place of distru distrust with their body. And, you know, I think to challenge that thinking and work and go, you know, be brave enough to say, maybe I'll go work with a professional. You know, maybe this is time to go look at a deeper dive of my relationship with food and body, because we should be at a place where we walk into the kitchen and we're comfortable to have every single type of food in our kitchen. And I certainly have that. And when I was in my eating disorder, you, there was no way I could have ice cream or peanut butter or anything like that. Cause I would either binge and purge or I would throw it away or whatever it was. And because I didn't trust myself around it. And I think that not trusting yourself around food is such a normative thing in our society. People are like, Oh no, I can't have that in my house. It's like, why? And I think that's a big red flag for folks that if you feel the need to have something externally tell you how you internally feel, there's a red flag there that maybe you can seek out some professional help. Yeah. I feel really fortunate growing up that we never had a scale in our house. Like that was, it just never was. And then I remember occasionally going over to my one grandma's house and being like, that's weird. What the heck is this? And it was a scale. And I couldn't even tell you if I've ever stepped on it or what any number said, because it was just not a normal part of my childhood, which thanks mom, you know, I appreciate it. But if there is someone deciding, hey, I am personally going to choose to keep a scale in my house, what would you suggest to that parent if their teen asks about it or their child asks about it? And if they ask to use it, how would you respond to that? I mean, First of all, I would really hope that they're going to take a hard look as to why they, again, quote unquote, need the scale. Um, and this is something that has certainly come up before. It's not the first time I've heard this question. And, you know, I kind of go back to even before that that teen asked to use it is, you know, would you want your child utilizing a scale or a Fitbit or whatever to monitor their weight? their worth, you know? And so if you don't want that for your child, then why are we doing that for ourselves? And I think too that, you know, thinking about that if your child is approaching you about this, you know, what message are we sending them for a healthy relationship with food and body? And we're setting them up at a really young age to measure their worth according to a number on a scale. So, I mean, if you like are adamant that you're not going to go, you know, take a deeper dive into your own relationship and challenge that scale type thinking, then, you know, do your children a favor and hide it because I mean, ultimately, no, you should not have it in the house because I think, you know, it sets up 
for kids, I, I got a text from a mom recently and her daughter had gone over to somebody's house and she doesn't have a scale and the kids were all running up and down into the master bedroom weighing themselves and they were in fifth grade. And so it was like this, this game. And what happens with that game is when you have a kid like me, who's really tall, and then my friend who is so, so short, you know, I might weigh over a hundred pounds and she might be at 70 because we're hitting puberty at different times. And what is that automatically without a effect? Why am I more? Yeah. Why am I, you know, so I think there's just so many reasons why parents should really, really, really mom should really, and dads too. I mean, dads are just as much to blame in this, you know, whether they're the crazy CrossFit dads, I'm not beating up on CrossFit, but you know that they, they get a little crazy. And then, or they're the kinds that are very sedentary. Like there is, there, there's both sides to this, you know, so we need to look at dads and what's their relationship. I think an interesting piece too is the role modeling to your point. Like I watched my mom always get on the scale and then change her eating behaviors accordingly for the next two days until those pounds came off. And then she would be like, she would walk around telling me that she had lost X amount of pounds and then she would change her eating and go back the other way. And then she would step on the scale again. And so the, the role modeling that occurs. So did she actually tell you? That she was changing her eating or is it just stuff that you remember watching it? Like she would, she still to this day will be like, oh, I'm up two pounds. And so she'll grab like, I, so I have to drink my shake instead or, or we'll go to a restaurant and she'll be like, well, my weight's up. And so she'll pull out of her Mary Poppins purse, her own food that she's brought while the rest of us are ordering. Oh, I feel so sorry. And, in front of my, in front of my kids. Oh my too. gosh. And I think it's something to recognize that like. Our kids are so, so receptive to stuff, even if it is something that we're directly saying. So the reason why I asked, like, did she actually tell you that she's changing her eating or did you just pick that up where it's like some of each probably she's weighing herself, communicating it. And then you notice the, the food intake is changing. And so I think if that's something that is normalized in our childhood environment, we we do what we learn and so it's it's going to be brought up and then if we're not embarking on change that's being passed on to our kids and then if our kids aren't seeking out change they're passing that on and here we go here's that snowball effect I'm sorry that that's stuff that you have to still go through I really wanted to stop that in my family this domino effect of of tying our and it wasn't even that I grew up with a mom that dieted all the time. I, she, and I am so damn close to her and she's an amazing person. And I, and I say that she's extraordinary because she fell alongside me in this recovery journey and kind of started to examine her own relationship with food and saying like, well, what is this about? And it was never this intentional, I, I don't feel like hers was an intentional drive for thinness. Now I've never been her therapist, nor will I, but it really came from this um, childhood of earth productivity and perfectionism. And, you know, so she would sit down, she'd make a whole big crawfish etouffee and we'd all eat and she would eat a normal dinner, but she would say things like, I've been so busy, I forgot to eat today. So as a young age, I equated, yeah, so I equated productivity with, with my worth. And if you're productive, that means you forget to eat. I am sorry, but I don't forget. Like, that's not normal. 
but then again, those are the messages that I was sent early on. And so it was like, okay, if I can just go, 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 that means I'm going to forget to eat and be thin. So I'm going to check all the boxes of worth that, that way. Um, and it is, it's something that certainly passed down. And so now I'm very aware to like have jammy days with the kids and, you know, try to have those you know, just lazy days and enjoy them. And really, when I just hear all this, the like glorifying no time to eat and weighing yourself, it's like these people are just in pain, you know, like that's really it, that that it's just a deeper sensation of pain that they're not really realizing where to channel it so they're lost and they're not trusting their body going back to your point of like why would you need this scale when you can your body is communicating with you and and again like my mom might have been hungry just because she gained two pounds doesn't mean that she can't eat she's hungry that day that like there's a body trust there that tells us when we're hungry and full the scale doesn't need to tell us what to eat our body will communicate with that and we lose so much touch with that when we're so entrenched in diet culture I want to like for those listening that do weigh themselves, please stop. But if you continue, then it's like your weight is supposed to change. And if your weight is not changing, your body is not nourished, you're not eating enough, you're not hydrating well, you're, you know, your poop and your pee and all of these other factors, hormones and whatnot, they are all supposed to cause our body to fluctuate. And for some, that's multiple pounds and others, it's 10 pounds. And that's okay. I think it's just really about when we're monitoring that, we're not putting the trust into our body. And if we're expecting it to be one specific number for the rest of our lives, then you ultimately are setting yourself yourself up for drastic disappointment. It's just impossible. Absolutely. It's it's totally impossible. And I, I, you know, I, I can totally understand where they're coming from and wanting to step on that scale and to tell them like, you're amazing. You're beautiful. You're worthy. You're gorgeous. You're smart and sexy and all these, like you're just keep waiting for the scale to talk back to you and all these things. And you know, it never does. It just dictates your mood. And typically it's not a good mood coming out of it. Or if it is a good mood, you're going to go to drastic measures to quote unquote, hang on to it. So this is going to be a big general question. So do your best. But I mean, how do you coach moms and all young people, but all people listening on developing a peaceful relationship with the number on the scale, especially if, even if they're not weighing themselves at home, but they're seeing their weight at the doctor, it's just being talked about. Like, how do you help coach moms on developing this peaceful relationship with the scale? Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if it's bringing up that much and, you know, first of all, when you go to the doctor, when you go to a dietitian, go blind weight, turn around, you don't have to see it. Um, but I, I think that first and foremost, my first piece of advice is to seek professional help, period. Um, I, I think we all need a therapist. Some of us need dietitians and Zoloft should be in the water. Like, come on. So, you know, I, I think that we have been fed through society, through our family and our own gremlins in our head, all of these misbeliefs and, and distrust with our bodies. And a lot of times the best way to really tackle that is to dive deep with professionals. And so I really think that if we can, you know, kind of start peeling back some of those layers and looking at like, oh my God, yeah, like, no, I didn't have a mom that dieted, but look at the other things she said and what message that sent me, you know? And so taking that hour for yourself is, I 
think so huge in the best self-care you can give yourself. I also think that when we start to look at our bodies, again, like I said earlier, as instruments and not ornaments, and to really see them for this miraculous thing that they are. And I often use my daughter as, you know, if I'm having a rough body day or if, and I always, you know, kind of use this in talks that, you know, thinking about Marjorie, that she was born at one pound, 15 ounces. And she was literally her, you know, diaper was the size of the palm of my hand and it was too big. And so you look at this, this baby that was born and you look at how in two and a half months in the NICU and with rest and nourishment and of course medicine and, you know, medical intervention, she became a healthy young, you know, baby. And so you look at how insanely miraculous our bodies can be. And then somewhere along the way, you know, in fourth or fifth grade, you get this message that they're in their ornaments and that your legs are too lanky or your stomach's too big or whatever message it might be. And so I think that people should give space to thinking about, you know, their own where, what messages were they sent and then finding ways that support their body, getting rid of the scale, getting rid of, you know, if you have an Apple watch and you're obsessed with closing the rings or doing the 10,000 steps, like get rid of your watch, you know, get rid of things that are defining your body. For me, I don't keep, well, now I do, but early in my recovery, and I don't do it now on purpose just because I don't have enough time, but early in my recovery, I was such a bad calorie counter and calorie intake was kind of another way for me to like tick off my, my boxes. So I got rid of all the labels. So I have just nothing but containers in my house and I still have many of the containers, but I'm not as triggered by calories. And so but if that's something that's triggering you, get rid of them. You can tear them off, black them out. Um, doing things, find movement, you know, find something, a body movement that brings you joy. If you don't like running, don't run. Like it's a very simple equation. If I, I haven't set foot in a gym in 10 years because there is nothing about a gym that brings me joy. There's nothing about an elliptical machine that brings me joy, nor can I figure out why people like them. I think they're terrible little torture machines. But I love um, yoga. I love going. I have a great body positive pure bar studio. Find studios that are body positive, health at every size. So doing things, you know, oh, and get rid of those people on Instagram, you know, that are measuring or fitspo and all that, you know, control what you can and surround yourself with body positive accounts, you know, body positive people and really start to kind of change your relationship that way. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna throw out there that, you know, we the three of us and, and many other health at every size, you know, clinicians and practitioners are like salmon swimming upstream against the rest of diet culture. And um for those that are living in marginalized bodies and cultures and, and experiencing weight stigma you can also get rid of toxic healthcare providers because there are those individuals out there that do practice the health at every size principles and will stop weight shaming you. Um, that being said, you know, I think it's like this is easily said as we are all privileged humans here talking. Um, and so there are individuals out there that saying like, even if I were to do all those things, I'm still experiencing stigma because our, our culture does not appreciate all bodies. And so I'm sorry that you guys have to go through that, those that are listening. And so I think to make a step forward, it is kind of curating 
an environment that best supports your mental health and then getting the support that you need to challenge the bullshit culture that we live in. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the Hayes movement and the providers that we're seeing and the body positivity online that is showing, you know, people of all shapes and sizes and colors and genders and sexuality, it's, it's, it's truly remarkable. And like you said, we're still swimming upstream. I do want to point out that if someone is seeking help, um, or, you know, a health at every size provider, we do have findedhelp.com. It is our comprehensive database of clinicians across the country. And so, and we make sure that they are all, you know, it's not like psychology today where you get to like check, you know, oh, eating disorder. Oh, sure. I could do that. Um, but they are what they say they are. And um, so that's just a great free resource for any, and it's free for clinicians to list themselves as well. I got one last question to throw at you, if that's okay. I mean, you have people paint on their scale positive affirmations, right, before smashing. So, and I do this with my clients. I don't have the sledgehammer, but I have them, we do an art therapy session a lot, and they paint their scales, and then they can do what they want with them when they get home. Um, I keep the batteries, though. Uh, But (laughs) I'm curious for moms that are listening, like, what are some positive thoughts that they can say to themselves or even if they want to do their own scale smash, like what are some positive affirmations they could paint on their own scale if this is something they're interested in? I love that. Well, I think two things. So we have, um, so obviously the scale smash is part of Southern Smash, but it's actually a sequence of body positive activities. And my favorite one, scale smash is good and fun. And I don't think I have one right here, but um, are the dare to love yourself cards. And so I think even, Sorry, I'm such like, I get so excited. Um, Even before they go to the Dare They Love Themselves cards, we have our Let It Go balloons. We do not let go of balloons, so environmentalists do not come after me. But it's a group of balloons, and it's these tags, and it says, what's weighing you down? Let it go. And so we encourage folks, and they fold over, so it's your private, you know. And this is a great activity for someone, and if you you want to release the our balloons are biodegradable and if you want to release the balloon it is very cathartic i've done this with people before um or you could just rip it up and say trash or insecurity but i would really encourage people to physically write down what is their thought or number holding them back and so i mean i get everything from this one has a weight on it this one has gpa perfectionism self-harm um eating disorder body image perfect mom whatever it is that's holding you back write it down, rip it up, burn it, like however you need to get rid of it. And then next I would do, we have let it, um, dare to love yourself cards. So those are all about positive affirmations. And those came from the idea that at the Carolina house on all of our mirrors in the bathroom, people would write post-its like you're beautiful recovery is worth it. And I'm like, Oh, it's such a bunch of hokey bullshit. And I mean, I was just like in a little dark hole. And so after staring at it for three months, I was like, huh, these, this kind of works. And so I went home and started putting positive things on my mirror. And so dare to love yourself was born from that notion. And so they're cards that have dare to love yourself today and every day. And so writing something positive. And if you can't come up with a physical, you know, body part or thing about you, then write an inspirational quote. If you're spiritual Bible verse and just have something positive for yourself to see every day, it will change your, your thinking. Um, and then as for the scales, this one has weight does not equal worth, um, F-U-Ed, um, you know, uh, scales are for fish, 
I am more than a number, strong as the new beautiful. Um, um, to my, my personal favorite and the one that I always write is too busy changing the world to change my body. And that one is like my, like, sorry, no, not sorry. Like I'm not, I'm not going to waste any more of my energy shrinking or changing myself to other people's standards. And yeah, I think go home, smash it. My one advice is put it in a plastic bag so that you don't have parts and pieces flying and find a bat or sledgehammer with a longer um, handle because a lot of times people get like crowbars or hammers and it scares me because they're like right at their face. Um, but yeah, you know, go to town with it. And I think you know, anything that you can do, whether it's like the let it go cards like I talked about, just something to externally put out and write down what you're afraid of, what's holding you back, what's defining you and do something to literally destroy it. And it is so therapeutic because you're actually seeing it and it becomes outside of you and not this thing that's just constantly festering inside. That's awesome. I love it. I love all those concrete ideas. I don't have a scale to smash, but if I did, I would. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, we'll have to, I'll have to come out there and do a scale smash. Yes. I have a lot of clients that I would love to force them to do it. but <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I do these um, sometimes at a treatment center if it's you know, um, the setting is correct. And it's, it's a very mixed bag when the patients know that I'm coming. It's like, oh God. And, you know, it's, it's this excitement. And usually the excitement comes from folks that have been there a little while. Um, and then it's, I'll never forget this one girl. It was her first day. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. She's like, I hate you. And I'm like, <laughs> but I mean, I always first day of treatment's always the worst. I mean, first day of treatment sucks. I mean, I have a, a horror story. I mean, oh, it's everyone's so bad. Is bad, and it's like I feel like when I come though, it's like worse than a double dessert day because I'm like, here, destroy the one thing that brings you like joy and peace. And you know, and so I'm like, I get it. Like, I would never have destroyed the scale on my first day. But I always tell them, I'm like, it's up to you. I'm not going to make you. You know come, come as you are, come where you are. We'll meet you there. And it's really cool. Cause I'll go back to treatment centers a few months later and they're like, I'm ready today. And I'm like, let's do it. You know? So it's, it's really cool to watch people's own kind of evolution with it. Last question though. Where can people find you? Yeah. So they can find me on Instagram at, at McCall Dempsey and at Southern smash at Alliance for EDA, uh, Alliance for eating uh, is where you will find all of our support group information. And then if you find Alliance for Eating Disorders on Facebook, we have all of our virtual check-in information that's happening right now. And then my website is McCallDempsey.com. Well, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. And I hope those mamas listening, please smash the scale. Get rid of it. You don't need it. Thank you all so much. Thank you again for that awesome interview. And we hope that her little challenges and specific tools are helpful for you. If you have a scale in your bathroom, we are asking you to take a moment and think about your intentions about keeping it there. If you decide to keep one, even after listening to this for your own personal or medical reasons, please consider hiding it from your children to be mindful of role modeling. If you decide to get rid of your scale, P.S. your kids will thank you. Our takeaway challenge is for you to paint some positive body affirmations on your scale and then smash the shit out of that. Thanks for listening.
This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.